0: So we like to always remind people to like us on Facebook. Like us. Like us and review us on iTunes, because when you do that, you get to send in questions. And we actually have one question that came in from a listener, and it involves (laughs) D&D. 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 Did you ever play D&D?
1: Funny story about that. My brother and I wanted to play. Uh, We lived in the country, kind of in a rural setting so we ordered it we got it and opened up the instructions and it said you need three people to play and we were both like (laughs) oh so i tried to do mom dad i need a brother i need a brother exactly find us a friend and there were some girls that lived like a few houses down maybe a quarter of a mile away
0: but that's never gonna work yeah they didn't want to play this (laughs) hey girls you didn't play some dungeons and dragons it's gonna be awesome no
1: go away die look at it it's to die for they had some weird bits, as I remember with D&D, that you could do like a, a self-quest kind of thing where you would sort of have an individual. I, I mean, they were obviously just trying to make the lonely kids feel better. And yeah. uh, I could, vaguely tried it or designing my own thing, and then I kind of got bored. Because I, I think a lot of D&D is the community. And you know, you're know, you having a bunch of people over, and you're having fun, and, and I was missing it on all that. Now, if I had that original game still, it would probably be worth some money. Because that was probably back in the mid-80s. I have no... I'm sure it got thrown away, but...
0: You probably have to leave it unopened, though. Which, it sounds like you and your brothers kind of did. (laughs) (laughs) We opened it, but it's unused, yeah. It's unused, (laughs) yeah. I never played. I didn't have friends that were into it. And I I don't know... So you said you ordered it and it came in the mail. Where did you order it from? Well, you know,
1: I say that. I don't vaguely... I don't remember unless it was the back of a comic book. I I say we ordered Uh. it because I don't remember going to a store... But maybe it was at the comic book store that we bought it or something. That I, would I don't make really, a lot of sense. That makes yeah. more sense. But it seems like they had ads for that in the comic books as well, where you would send in the form with the check and they would mail it back to you. The old Amazon. The old, old days. Yeah, order these. So yeah. So you did never play.
0: I never did. I didn't know much about it. It wasn't that I heard about it, you know, thought about it and just thought it didn't sound good. It was more that it just wasn't part of my world. Looking back, it would have been perfect. I, I also grew up in a world where this was also the 1980s, where parents were and churches were a lot, at least of a certain stripe, were a lot more fearful of certain influences. Mm-hmm. So I remember my parents didn't really want me to have He-Man because they didn't like the 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 Gray Skull um, right. guy. They thought he looked pretty, pretty awful. You know, again, I, some of that stuff sounds silly now to say, but it, it certainly was the case that, you know, it was like Dungeons & Dragons, you always heard like from youth group pastors and stuff, the the crazy stories of the really weird kids who got too into it, and like they sat around for 15 hours straight, like doing nothing but D&D. Anyway, long story short, I didn't feel any of that peer pressure, but I also didn't play it. And looking right. back, I was like, oh man, that would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, it took it out of your environment. There's yeah. a real,
1: I think a part of it is a discomfort with the witchcraft bit. There, there's that cultural memory that, D&D, especially with monsters with, scu- with skull faces and things that somehow it, it it might bring in the forces of evil or the devil or something, which is kind of odd for Protestants to think because we're not usually into demon possession or exorcism. So, you know,
0: it, historically it, less so. Yeah. In American evangelicalism, it does. It is more of a fear, um, mm-hmm. I think. But, you know, I think that wasn't the the, the biggest factor, frankly. A lot of it was that I, I think it just wasn't part of my world, if that makes sense. So yeah. we didn't have a comic book store where I grew up. We didn't, you know, have D&D. This is before you could order stuff online kind of a thing. The other part of it, too, is, I, I you know, I think in general, the whole monsters thing, I, I could understand that parents are sort of fearful of everything at all times. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always joke. My kids, you know, they'll have nightmares if they watch a movie with a monster in it. They're also afraid of the stove, you know. Right. <laughs> they're also afraid of the sound of thunder. Every, they're afraid of everything. But the parents' instinct is always to say, "Oh, my kids are afraid of this, so we should somehow censor it for a certain age," which is undoubtedly true. You know, we're not, not going to watch Fight Club with my kids, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that kind of thing. But sometimes uh, I feel like I feel like there was a time in the '80s where we were a lot more sensitive to that to this type of thing than we are now, at least in terms of. Fearing the the evil thing, you know, I remember talking to my parents at one point. I just said, "Look, hey, Ma, uh, every story like that kids like always has monsters in them, like Hansel and Gretel, witches." I said, "Just because you know this stuff is in plays and stuff to, or movies, doesn't mean that the kids are gonna become you know serial killers and weirdos. It's just not the case. Rather, what it means is we just like cool stories, and often the coolest stories are heroes and villains and other fun things like that." And my parents were like, yeah.
1: Your parents weren't worried that you're going to have nightmares. They weren't worried about it scaring you so much. They are more worried about it sort of impacting you and turning you into a serial killer.
0: Is that yeah. what you think? Well, that's my, that's my silly way of saying it. But I think probably, yeah, more more fearful of the unknown. Like, is kind of like, again, we would be fearful of a kid playing too many games where they're sh- everyone's shooting each other. Right. Like, does that actually make the kid more prone to do violent action? Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, I think that's just the instinct of, of lots of parents. Will I warp
1: my children somehow?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so I think probably if D&D had even been po- like available, my parents would have been a little more like, wait, what is this? You're pretending to be you know, a warlock that is killing the villagers. Like, what, what's... why? <laughs> this
1: isn't nice, yeah. This isn't helpful. Uh, for me, when I was growing up, there really was a, a fear that somehow you would be corrupted... And again, I think this is partly that fear of the demonic because Ouija boards were were like all the kids wanted one and they were kind of very mysterious, but no one really had one. And the real fear with pop culture was backward masking, especially in the churches that somehow because the music was backwards, it would subliminally control you and then you would become a Satanist or you would become... You know, I forgot about those. So yeah, things. that yeah. was the big deal, and so everybody was against Led Zeppelin, and they even brought up the Beatles and things. And it looks like those groups were doing backward recordings, but I'm sure it was just for fun. And there's really no science. Yeah. There's no evidence that all of a sudden you get turned into the, um, you know, some sort of walking automaton for for <laughs> right. evil. But that's what we really were hearing. I think it was really that groups were they were uncomfortable with, with hard rock metal culture, and were trying to. Criticized oh, yeah. on a certain level but yeah that was a big deal that somehow the backward masking and things and that that's totally gone i don't hear that as much
0: i almost feel like it was based on like a strange theory of psychology if that makes sense mm-hmm. this idea that one is made susceptible to craziness by by these things so yes but i think it, particularly with in my house you know i was drawn to sci-fi fantasy stuff and you know i had figurines that were like these little troll things it, it was really just like, hey i thought this is kind of cool like kind of neat mm-hmm. and I, I remember i don't know if it was my brother one of them just expressed concern it's amazing how the stereotype was was what most people were thinking about though it was the this, this stereotype of the dark depressed kind of leather long jacket wearing mm-hmm. freak that everyone hates and grows up dysfunctional Mm -hmm. I just thought they were cool stories. I thought, just like anybody, I I still like these stories now. I think they're just compelling and interesting. We've said how, in a weird way, it's been the triumph of the nerds
1: that Tolkien, Star Wars, these things were outsider stuff. I mean, people that read Tolkien when I was young were kind of freakish, considered that's very true into weird stuff. And now everybody likes those things. Everybody loves Star Wars. Everybody likes Stranger Things. So, and of course, in Christian culture, we had Tolkien and Lewis. So Christians were like, well. You're really not supposed to read fantasy stories except for these
0: well, even those I because I, I have videos on Tolkien and Lewis on youtube uh-huh Pe- people love I mean I have to delete some of them because they're just just sort of vile like the comments from Christians about you know I'm a demonic exposer of all these things and wow, yeah, so I, there's still that lurking out there I, I again I think it's based on fear hmm and I think you're right though about the Triumph of the nerds because it's it's hilarious because I mean I was getting my haircut yesterday and finally this. Get a haircut, you hippie. Dude. (laughs) The lady that was cutting my hair, you know, normal girl, probably in mid-20s. Not the kind of geek and nerd type person, but, you know, just again, very working girl, hanging out, very friendly. She goes, oh, I love comic books and sci-fi and Star Wars. And I'm going... Where were you when I was growing up? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's yeah, kind of thing.
1: Are she sure, she sure she wasn't hustling for the tip there?
0: Yeah, that's true. Next guy yeah, well, comes I'm, in.
1: I love.
0: <laughs> she pegged me. I man. love she cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Guys are dumb. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she likes. She likes the same stuff. Here's five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> how some money, girl? <laughs> <laughs> how dumb are we? No, I actually didn't bring it up. She brought it up. She mm-hmm. just started talking about how she finds the stories interesting. Mm-hmm. But I think with dungeons, there's a lot of creativity like you create the stories do you not it's a bit of like there's the the dungeon master who like knows the plots and can have different things happen and the other players this is how i've seen it played probably just in pop culture but there was you know this example i think it was in big bang theory they're playing dnd and like the dungeon master i forget which character does it makes a holiday edition with santa but they go to like a, a they go into a dungeon to save santa or something like this mm-hmm. i was drawn to that because i thought Oh, do you make up your own stories? Is that possible? Uh, that would have been actually even more, I think, fun yeah. as a kid, is to try to come up with, all right, what would be the ultimate villain, and I can invent this. you got to think, you know, there's got to be some authors and creative types that have come out of that type of environment, you know? I think you're totally right on the
1: on the influence and, and backing up there. Uh, I'm not an expert on D&D, but I think how it is is that there are books and there are scenarios you could buy. So you buy the basic set that it comes with like a basic game and your, your dice and that stuff. And it has instructions and then you can buy different other scenarios and games where, you know, you're in a world with mountains and it sets it out. But there's also books that have sets of monsters. So they're ready made, but then you can construct your own world. So the dungeon master is both author and kind of jurist where they have to decide, you know, if you go West, what happens, So they're always having to interpret the rules. And I always found it odd. There's a lot of wiggle room that, you know, if the dungeon master really wants to kill everyone, they can. You know, if the dungeon master doesn't like you, then they can, because they get to (laughs) interpret everything and you might roll your dice, but they just say, well, another set of vampires comes out. So it's kind of weird that the dungeon master is sort of playing with you and wants you to have a good time, but also wants it to be challenging. So all these things happen. But when you mentioned the, the influence, that's definitely true because you mentioned Big Bang Theory, which, again, Triumph of the Nerds. Uh, the show Community has had D&D on it. And, of course, Stranger really? Things has it on there. And then there are podcasts where people are actually recording they're playing Dungeons and & Dragons and other people really? are just listening to them play. Uh, yeah, uh, The Incomparable podcast. I think they trim it down some. But, I mean, there's just four guys uh, having a good time. And recording it,
0: so D and D had a
1: huge cultural influence. I think uh, in terms of.
0: Wait, so there's a, there's a podcast of just people playing a board game yes, and talking. Yes, yes. Why didn't we? what
1: not that amazing? No, I'm just
0: <laughs> and there's a group
1: here in where I live in Albemarle that uh, group of guys that get together. I've not ever actually made it there, but they they get together pretty regularly and play either board games or Dungeons and Dragons, uh, because yeah. they love that. And so they're getting together and being little kids again. But uh, board games, there's some great board games out there. I don't know if you've explored it, but there's been a real renaissance and kind of sort of like craft board games.
0: I haven't. I've noticed how many there are, though, like in, if I go to the store or something. Yes. You hear about grown-up friends, adult friends, who, yeah, get together, they do their own game night, whereas that used to be kind of the hokey, like lame family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, I have to go home for game night, my family. That's right. Is, We're going to play Monopoly again, which Monopoly's Monopoly is a great
1: game, but it does get old. Well, Magic the Gathering was a popular card game that my kids have gotten into. I, I didn't as a kid, but their big thing is on Friday night going and playing at the, a store, playing Magic against other people. Huh. Uh, the board games, yeah, there's some really neat ones that that are creative. Like some of them you're actually working against the board, so cooperative play. Uh, that really? you're trying to defeat the, the board itself. Yeah, like uh, Pandemic and um, House on the Hill. Oh. Uh, so... They also, they don't have a set board. You more build the board with tiles, which gives you a different experience every time you play. Because every time oh, you kind I like of create that. the yeah. board. And uh, just lots of interesting and complicated things. Um, Dominion is a card game where you build your own deck to have the best deck against the other players. Uh, so did some really neat things out there. There is a channel on YouTube called Tabletop. And it features the guy that was uh, Will uh, uh, was um, on Star Trek: The Next Generation. The oh, kid. Will Wheaton. Yeah, Will Wheaton. Yeah. I was going to say Will Riker, but that was the captain, wasn't it?
0: That that would have yeah. been the actual character. That's the actual character.
1: <laughs> well, except for that's not him. That was the second in command, right? Riker.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's the so the sexy one with the chest hair. There you go. Ooh. He was
1: a, he was awesome. He was tall. It's nice when they're tall. Will Wheaton. Uh, yeah, he now hosts that, and he's been on Big Bang Theory, but. He hosts the tabletop games. And for a while, Target said any game that they featured on there, they would stock in their stores. So Target was really? kind of embracing tabletop. And he gets these friends from Star Trek and s- sort of sci-fi celebrities to come down to his basement and they play the game. And you get to watch them play for like 30 minutes and, and learn about a new game. So, yeah, it's pretty wild, this whole That's game culture. And I've seen it at Pfeiffer where there are... Undergrads getting together, playing some D and D or uh, playing some board games. So part of that triumph of the nerds.
0: That's really cool. Pretty, pretty neat. I don't think I've heard really ever lately that kind of overly fearful, like, oh no, like the kids are doing stuff that's creative and out there. Yeah, I think whether it's the fact that we grew up hearing these things and they're they're actually not true and. Probably the old joke that, you know, the nerd actually was the guy that went on to form a computer company that's making a lot of money and doing good for the world now. <laughs> it's yes. probably closer to true. I think that's right. But I remember, just to give you an example, my kids just recently watched Ghostbusters. Mm. I texted you about this. Mm-hmm. I remember growing up, Ghostbusters was considered kind of, di- even, even it was on the edge. Because mm-hmm. everyone edge. liked everyone liked Bill Murray and Caddyshack, and they knew he was a bit crude but funny. There were lots of characters in that movie that everyone thought, well, that's, it's a comedy. It also had ghosts and crazy, you know, kind of somewhat spooky things for young kids. Uh, but then at the end, it has the freaking Stay puff Man, mm-hmm. the, this you know Pillsbury Dough Man guy that comes walking down the street, and it, you just couldn't quite put it in a box. And I remember that it, again, it was it was edgy. It was kind of we're not sure what to make of this. And then with my kids, they watched it and they're like, "Daddy, what's going on?" And I remember telling them, and it it Was surprising to hear it come out of my mouth like oh this is all just silly like they you know normally movies like this it's the monsters are really scary but in this case they're, they're, they're a little bit scary but really they're also silly at times and immediately my kids just go all right, cool and they watch the whole thing and they're into it they don't always get the science humor the fact that it's a scientist thing but they loved at the in the end they loved Ghostbusters, they thought it was awesome
1: hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Have your kids watched it yet? No we haven't, I need to They, We were
1: at a Dave and Busters one time And there was a Ghostbusters video game And they were very intrigued Because I think you're right There's kind of a primal bit with Ghostbusters That there's ghosts and you've got a gun Kind of thing and yeah. So it just yeah, yeah. it's really pleasing, you're trying to capture ghosts And it's a little scary, but not a lot scary And this, I think that video game Was based on the the Ghostbusters reboot Which I haven't seen I don't know if you've seen. Well, the, and you got the, the music. music. Yeah, the music. There's, there's really this. This a lot of fun too. It's just a fun thing. Um, but no, I think the kids would enjoy. There's sexual content in Ghostbusters. I mean, there's strange. some jokes there with the key and the Sigourney
0: Weaver. Oh, I didn't even. Is, I haven't even. Yeah, I haven't noticed that bit. Is that? I am I wrong? Or Maybe that. that's the secret. Maybe that's no. You're probably. Too. You're right. I just must have walked out of because
1: the, they they have to they have to get together in order to bring about the end of the world
0: oh that's i think that's the
1: second one uh maybe that is the second one
0: okay yeah the second one with the painting and the weird ghoulish like somewhat dracula like eastern european accent i think he ends up being russian but still you know what i mean no i the first one was just oh there's ghosts and hey we're scientists and there's actually a scientific explanation for ghosts in this weird way and but they slime you. That's what they do. They have ectoplasm. Yeah, the slimer. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I don't know who pitched that story, but I mean, it's just like, hey, I know we'll do this whole thing with ghosts, and but we'll make it science, and uh, that that'll, that'll make it compelling. I mean, this, I can't imagine sitting in front of like suit, you know, producers telling them this is your idea for a movie. You know, mm-hmm. in the end, it was brilliant. It was a great movie.
1: Yeah, I think Harold Ramis was one of the main people. And Dan Aykroyd, right? I think they both kind of wrote. And Harold Ramis at that point may have had so much success that he could kind of punch his own ticket.
0: Yeah, Aykroyd certainly from Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. and Bill Murray. And, of course, the indomitable Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis. Moranis. I forget I always say it wrong. Who, I looked this up recently. He, I thought he was so typecast, right? I mean, he was the same character all the time. Uh-huh. From Honey, I Shrunk the Kids to... You know, Ghostbusters. He was always the nerdy Jewish guy that can't get the girl. But he actually quit Hollywood. He he. It wasn't that no one would hire him. He just quit. Hmm. He, his wife died of breast cancer, and he decided he was going to only raise his kids and focus on that and not be gone. But he was apparently very sought after, e- even despite the fact that he was hyper typecast. As I mean, as soon as you say Rick Moranis, the, the thought that comes to head your mind is oh. Uh, hey, how you doing? Like yeah. that, the, the, the Coke bottle glasses and everything. Very nerdy.
1: And he's short too. Like he's, or he's played as short. So he comes off very. of this very much a sidekick character.
0: Yeah, it's actually very funny to see pictures of him now when he's like just a dad hanging out, normal guy. Because yeah, it's, it, he doesn't, you just expect him to be poindexter, but he's not acting that way. Mm-mm. Well, and he was in
1: Little Shop of Horrors, which is a lot of fun the movie and the the musical play I, i've seen several ver- it seems like when i was doing youth ministry every school every year would do little shop of horror so i saw it like three years in a row so, oh yeah, yeah like, it was the e- one of the easiest ones to pull off i guess yeah. so um but that is a lot of fun and he was fun in that and uh of course uh space balls is a classic and he's hilarious Spaceballs, balls
0: that. yeah that's the only time that rick moranis is not the same guy actually he's the no, he's the Darth helmet. He's the Darth Vader. Character. Darth, yeah, um, yeah. He's yeah. not. Sorry, not the Schwartz. You're right. Sorry, but he's the guy that wants the Schwartz or whatever it is. Yes. Yeah. The, the,
1: the well, he's playing a nerdy Darth Vader. It's like, what if Darth Vader was Rick Moranis? And it's sort of he's got power, <laughs> but no one really takes him seriously because he doesn't really do anything besides yell. But which is funny because he's yeah. he's nerdy, but. And I see your Schwartz. He's as big as mine. Yeah. yeah, and so the helmet falls down, and he's got that voice. And then when he lifts it up, it's a Rick Moranis voice. So oh,
0: come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, Rick
1: Moranis. It's, it feels like his dad gave him the job, you know? It's like they, they're yeah. scared of him because of his dad.
0: Is there any other character? I can't think of any recent actor who's more typecast than Moranis. Like- I
1: was trying to think of that. Uh, you know, Mark Hamill never did anything really after. I mean, he was in stuff, but... He just could never be in a movie after he was Luke Skywalker, I think, because everyone would just think of him as Luke. It was
0: so famous. Well, he became a more of a successful voice actor. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that. Yes, he's, it, he He does the Joker voice in most of the recent adaptations of the Batman. Mm-hmm. In fact, he's he's almost considered the quintessential Joker voice by most people. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's so it's so weird to say that though. Yeah, uh, but but
1: we got they got his face off camera, and you wouldn't know it, and it's not his voice, because if he talks in his normal voice, everyone goes, "Ah, oh, Star Wars."
0: I don't understand that. I will admit, because it's the opposite is true for Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he is Han Solo. You almost can't envision somebody else. I would say Indiana Jones is somewhat a similar character, but then he's also played you know much different, let's say significantly different characters over the years than the action hero. And I don't understand what that is. I honestly, I I mean, I I understand it's acting quality, but you know,
1: I I think it's that Indiana Jones is different enough that it broke the typecast. So it's similar in that he's a swashbuckling type figure, but the sense that he's an academic and he's going after these treasures and he's fighting the Nazis and he's got a whip—it's different enough that you don't think Han Solo. It's just Han Solo-ish. But but all of a sudden he's either he's Han Solo or he's Indiana Jones and then you think well then he could be anybody right I mean
0: well he plays uh, the uh, the guy one of the ones immediately after Star Wars was he was the undercover uh, he was uh, protective custody in the Amish community remember that that's
1: true that's right Uh, what was that and it's
0: so left field from like you're like wait Han Solo is. Amish now like just in terms of the the, uh, the the actor. You're right
1: that was important too and that was and that's, that was a loved movie so that gave him a breakout. Yeah. Yeah I forgot about that.
0: Yeah I never know is it the breakout it is is it the actor who is is beloved but does the one thing too much and then suddenly like um, oh what's her name the girl that did the that was in the Star Wars prequels uh, as Padme everyone almost lost respect for her and mm-hmm. then she came back and did Black Swan. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, um, yeah. Our listeners are probably yelling the name to us right now. But anyway. Who was Padme? <laughs> Who was Padme? Google it. She got mad and went back to college, I remember. She went to Harvard. Natalie Portman. Um, yeah, we have a friend Portman. that knew her somehow.
1: Had her number because yes. they went to go to parties or something. Yeah, you're right. That really did kind of kill her career. And
0: Almost killed her career, yeah. She was so sick of it. I mean, she had to give those horrible lines. I care for you. You're breaking my heart. He has killed the younglings. What? Who calls their kids younglings? <laughs> Apparently Jedi's do. <laughs> Sorry. I just kinda got lost there for a minute. Got lost. Been lost. But the idea that you are typecast, you can be typecast, or that you make the wrong movie choice and therefore what ends up happening is almost sealed forever. Like, oh now you're the person that does this, you know? I've just never quite gotten that. I don't know what I don't know why, but I think I think sometimes
1: something is so larger than life it just whether it's Star Wars, whether it's predestination uh you know something comes along that it's just so big it overwhelms you know it's it's the, just uh, a yeah. thing
0: yeah it's that's it's more than a fad, yes, it lasts longer than a fad, but it has the the energy behind it that a fad does, and it just keeps going like like the Star Wars release the very first star Wars I mean w- you and I were too young for it, but uh, I mean it was apparently just a crazy phenomenon in terms of culture you know people going to see it over and over and over and over and over again Mm -hmm. Uh, for an entire summer you know there are stories of people that watch it five times a week that this thought was so amazing and that is i mean you're just not going to get anything close to that today suddenly mark hamill is is that guy he can't be anyone else right
1: yeah it is partly the sign of the times that that you know augustine is talking about predestination too but it's not i mean there's some debates there but he's not it's it it's not stuck as it has for Calvin that there are uh there are certain times and the ways it's it's expressed and you know Star Wars had the marketing and the toys, so part of it is all the toys and all the the, the this birth of modern mass marketing that we have today, which is it's on the cereal box. It's in the movies. It's in the games, and now they've got iOS games. So everything's tied in. Star Wars, and I think Jaws are really some of the first ones to do that. And that's partly what propels Star Wars into such success. Is is that you know you like it, and then you buy the action figure, and then you're like, well, I want to go see it again. And uh, yeah,
0: now we're cynical to it. Like it's like, oh, that guy just happens to be holding a Coke can at the right angle, so I see that it's Coke. That's like, right. You yeah. even think about. are
1: more aware of it. Yeah, definitely uh so part of it is is the context in which these things happen and um and part of it is just the way a certain person formulated it that the way Calvin constructs his institutes, even though predestination isn't a major you know it's not it's not exactly a major part of it, but somehow it really stuck in the consciousness because the institutes were so popular you know at one point, I believe it was for many Protestant Christians. Uh, they would own a Bible and the Institutes. Like, those are the two things. Maybe Bunyan's In England, yeah.
0: It was was an English phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. The Puritan move, And then
1: Pilgrim's Progress. They were the three books they owned. So it really got predestination on the map in a way that it did not happen for St. Augustine.
0: I resist too much. Uh, I resist somewhat. You're not doing this. Uh, You see this occasionally. The the central dogma, the the old, like, late 1800s theory that everybody has one dogma that drives them. Mm -hmm. And so that's not what we're saying. But you're right. There's something... In the Calvinism, Calvin's day, all these things, whether something is happening at the same time, a doctrine is being put alongside predestination, there's something that, yeah, it brings it up to the fore. So I I point out to people quite often, Luther actually has uh, almost as unambiguous a doctrine of predestination as Calvin does. Hmm. I mean, just go read Bondage of the Will. I mean, it's right there in the title, (laughs) Bondage of the Will. (laughs) I mean... He wrote that when Calvin was just studying in grammar school. So it's not technically that Calvin is the only man to ever talk about predestination, which is how it sometimes at the popular level could sound. Yes. However, however, there is something about the fact that reformed folks from within a generation or two of Calvin's day, people who are reading his institutes and things, are more inclined to want to debate and talk about that doctrine than just about any other one in connection to it. Whereas the Lutherans are not the people who are ultra-predestinarian, if that makes sense.
1: No, or like the Augustinian monks are not yeah, going around yeah. going, predestination, you know, they, they don't. it's not a major factor, I don't think.
0: In Reformation research, we talk about something called intensified Augustinianism, which is a way of talking about Luther's early days and Calvin eventually is that it's, it is Augustinian. But there's something that's intensified. It's it's vague enough that you don't have to say what is intensified. <laughs> but
1: metal to the pedal.
0: <laughs> that's how we roll as historians. We give you a word, but don't quite define it. No, but uh, there's something to that. Yeah, it does actually raise a point. But speaking of of typecast. Segway bell. Ding, ding, ding. Who do you think are the most stereotyped theologians in history? You mentioned Calvin. Yeah, I think Cal- Calvin's I mean, one of them. If you mention Calvin, it's only, well, you mean predestination stuff, right? Right. It doesn't matter if Calvin said he could have written five thousand pages on every other doctrine. Whenever you say, well, "What do you think about Calvin?" all the, that's a shibboleth. It just means, "What do you think about the doctrine of predestination?" Exactly,
1: shibboleth. Yeah, that that's a great way to put it. The stereotyping is, yeah, did you like Ghostbusters? If you did, you must like Rick Moranis, kind of thing, or Rick Moranis is Ghostbusters. Yeah, it, it does become like a. A, a kind of litmus test, so, yeah. And, and Methodists are really bad about that. They they love to hate on Calvin, and they love to hate on the Baptists. And that tells you a lot that hmm. that traditions and groups are sometimes defined by what we're not. You know that great yeah, message true. of of um unbreakable the M Night Shyamalan movie where the, the villain's actually looking for the hero because without the hero the villain doesn't have an identity, and and that's yeah. you know, Methodists they have a straw man in Calvinism and in a certain idea of what Baptists are like, and they're like, well, we're not those things. What's the beef with Baptists? I think it's that it's stressing a conversionism constantly, and that the worship is is very kind of—it's a free-for-all and proof texting, you know, that, that oh. you know, the, the stereotype that the Baptist pastor— Not the
0: quadrilateral kind of— yeah, yeah,
1: even the Methodists aren't exactly always high liturgy. I mean, there's some of it, but um, plenty of Methodists are, are much more kind of freewheeling with worship— but there's a sense of well, you know, we don't want to stress an altar call and proof texting. That's not us. Uh, I saw that in England with the Methodist Church there. Although there they were defined by not being Anglican, so it was always the yes, worry of yeah. you know, whatever we are, we're not like the Anglicans, and I'm we're not, not like them. And I'm thinking, right. who cares, right? Or Protestants say, well, we're not, we're not. Cal- well, that's too Catholic. We don't want to do any candles. That's too Catholic.
0: Kind yeah, of history of religion folk historians in particular talk about. Whenever an institution or a church—let's stick to church. Whatever a church is not officially sanctioned as part of the culture. Mm-hmm. So obviously, in the American sense, none of the churches are state-run or operated. And in England, at least historically, it's 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 overwhelmingly Anglican, of course. And large parts of Germany, it'll be Lutheran and whatnot. Well, when you you are the minority or you're not state-funded, you often. This is something sociological about it. You often over accentuate what makes you different from someone that is at least anecdotally similar on the sort of external side. Mm -hmm. So if you look at Baptists, it actually makes some sense to me. I I can't put my finger on why or where. But the two fastest growing groups from the Revolutionary War until 1900 were Baptists and Methodists. Mm -hmm. And they are both convergenistic. They are both at least, again, analogously supportive of measures for sanctification, mm-hmm. whereas the old Puritan model was not, or much less so. So you could almost see like a layperson going, well, y'all them the same. You know, it's kind of <laughs> right. like they don't understand. And they're going, no, we are not like them, you know, this thing. Back in England though, the Baptist world is not that prevalent, whereas the Anglican world is, so that becomes their absolutely not. We are not like them. Don't ever say that again.
1: But you grew out of them and
0: in terms of Methodists, like you were, you were one. You were yeah. one.
1: Uh but you were asking which ones get stereotyped. I think a big one is St. Augustine, that True. that especially when I was coming through in kind of the nineties, he was most well known for his weird teachings about sex, that sort of this idea that really Christians should all be celibate.
0: Which he doesn't, he doesn't quite say, but everyone thinks he says it. Everyone that. that's thinks right, he yeah. says
1: it. So that's part of the stereotype that sometimes stereotypes are just not true. But, but there's this kind of this idea that, well, Augustine didn't like sex and he had hangups. And part of this is like a Freudian critique as well. If you don't have a healthy attitude on sex, then something's wrong with you. And he had that idea that we should let the pagans have children, and then we would convert them. So somewhere he has. Yeah, I, I don't
0: think he ever said that. Was, that's, yeah, that's one of those things where you're like, um, hmm. not sure about that. But, he, but people, think he is he has been out of shape by it. But he also says that it's
1: okay to be married, and that sex was originally a created good, but it's been corrupted by lust. So he's it's he's not yeah totally against it like it's portrayed.
0: I tend to find that it's his it's it's an overused analogy of his. 'Cause he loves to go to the idea of the twisted good thing rather than as we were actually talking about at the beginning of the podcast, there is no overt evil presence that he's scared of as the boogeyman. Yeah, that's right. We're coming on Halloween. Augustine would be like, Y'all, we don't care. Like there's not one day that's worse than others. Right. This is this is just a day, you yeah. know. Go get candy, shut up, which is my position as well. I like
1: dressing up too. I wear robes. Yeah.
0: I always tease, they're like, are, are you gonna let your kids do Halloween? And I say, Well, let me think. It involves dress-up, going outside, playing with their friends, and eating candy. That's what they want to do every day of the week. (laughs) (laughs) The age of my kids, at least, you know, seven and younger. Yeah, this idea that, you know, there's some boogeyman's bad day that, you know, is the worst is absolutely, you know, not anything that Gustin would go for. So he likes to find these analogies, and one of them is absolutely this idea that sex is supposed to be the good thing, the marriage, n- not based on lust, but we do all kinds of evil things to, to folks, rape and incest. It's just, he just starts listing all the worst possible things that could happen. And he's like, this is a great example he, in, his, in his own mind of like how bad sin is. But he keeps going to that well just probably a little too often for the modern person. They find it a bit of a fixation more than anything, if that makes sense. They do
1: so, and the, and again the Freud bit, and and this I think a way of thinking that was more popular in the eighties and nineties, which is well, if you get one thing wrong, we'll just dismiss you completely. It's yes. almost maybe the politically correct thing going on in in the time period that that you you dismiss someone completely for something they've done, and that's really not fair because you look at everything Augustine said about the state and politics and the sacraments. I mean, there is no Christianity or Christian theology without Augustine. So you can't just yeah. kick him out because he may have had a different attitude towards sex than than some people do in the 20th century.
0: Well, and there was a famous article that came out, uh, it was in the Harvard Theological Review or whatever it was, that argued that this idea has been repeated incessantly. And it's, it's actually been disproven quite a lot. But it's the idea that the West, thanks to Augustine, is a guilt culture. Like he, he just makes everyone feel guilty, mm-hmm. and that other parts of the... this is based on the sex thing, but it's kind of a, a different riff. But you know, if you go to Asia, you know, oh, they don't have these these guilt feelings all the time. And uh, Simeon, actually, the, Simeon and Bonnie, they were talking. They were like. Yeah, that's so weird because, like, in her experience of Asian culture, like, they have all kinds of guilt. It's not this carefree, guiltless. It, it was a guy that was speaking out of churn about his knowledge of Asian culture. Mm-hmm. And really, all he wanted to say is, I hate Augustine's idea of guilt, uh, right. that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you get these stereotypes or these genealogies where actually I was at a church last night, an Anglican church, speaking on politics and the state and how these things get sometimes meshed up in the church and, you know, you confuse who you're voting for with who, J- who Jesus loves kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just talking about Constantine a little bit, you know, and I actually at one point pulled back. and I said, now, let me be a bit cautious here because the f- the fact is everyone loves to blame Constantine as the one who ruined everything. I mean, it's, it's very convenient to blame a guy that isn't around and has been dead for 1500 years or 1700 years. I said, but, you know, there's still some trends here, but, you know, whenever you want to blame Christians for their over fixation on one political party or one political presidential nominee, no matter your politics, they always blame Constantine. That, that's that's my, yeah, my, that's my least one. favorite mm-hmm. one. It's like, oh, well, you know, everything before Constantine was perfect. Yeah. And now it sucks. <laughs> you know, it's like it, it's an old the Mennonite view of history that there was this. One moment where we jump the shark, and now mm-hmm. it's it's all just Constantine out,
1: yeah, you're right about genealogy that it's Mennonite, it's Yoder, and it's Howarwas. I think that's popularized, even the the term Constantinianism, which is yeah uh, uh comes up in my ethics class that I teach with because of it's in the book, and this idea yeah. that politics and state are connected, and I mean there are some weird things with Constantine that he's oh paying, sure yeah. paying for these councils and paying and all these things and and that he doesn't get baptized till end of his life, I mean, of course, it was a long time ago they they saw these things differently, but right. there are things to be suspicious about, but you're you're certainly right that there's no evidence either way that I mean he may have been a very devout guy it's it's to make him into a corrupting political figure is is really we just don't have the history to know that, but Yoder and others would like to they see him yeah that, as yes. as a stereotype and as as someone where there's a huge shift and that that's real convenient that's the whole straw man thing that's Methodism. Very much. you know again john wesley liked calvin he said that himself that he was a hair's breadth from calvin but methodists love to distinguish their arminianism in contrast to calvinism
0: yeah yeah and you're right it's it's a nice stick to hit people with i mean it's like yeah. oh well if it wasn't for this if it wasn't for this right then yeah and if you're not really sure
1: what you think at least you can say well i'm not that guy like, but that yeah. you can't always define yourself by what you're not. What are you for? If you stand right. for nothing, Burr, what will you fall for? Hamilton, the
0: musical. You're welcome. With great something comes, comes great, great, respons- great responsibility. power. Power <laughs> and responsibility. <laughs>
1: I think that was Batman or Superman. I forget who said that. That's
0: Spider-Man. Nah, Spider-Man. It's always Batman. Though it's it, yeah, it's 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 enough of a platitude that most superheroes probably said it at some point. Yeah. But no, you're right. It's maybe this way to put it. You know, when it comes to stereotype. Theologians. It's who do you hate, or what what issue are you concerned about? Let's not use the word hate. Mm-hmm. Who, what are you concerned about? Okay, who is a good example? Who's a good whipping post for that idea? All right, let's go after that. Or or what do you like? What are you concerned about in the positive sense? What do you want to stress? So a great example is in 19, right about 1930 1940. Up until that point, most non Lutheran Protestants could could have cared less about Luther other than the fact that he was the founder of Protestantism. Hmm. You didn't have this kind of neo-Lutheran spread where, basically, if you were Lutheran, if you liked Luther's theology, you were at a Lutheran church more often than not. Mm-hmm. Others, you know, he wasn't this great hero. After 1930, 1940, you have the Here I Stand biography, you have Gerhard Forty and his stuff about, you know, the... the the, the grace and freedom, the uh, movement, all stuff. The
1: agape. What is that guy? Negrin? What's his name? Yeah, the, yeah. the agape I, versus eros distinction. Exactly, popularized, right. popularized, and people still think that.
0: And a lot of the mid-20th century is a guilt-ridden culture. Coming out of the World Wars, mm-hmm. you have all kinds of issues in culture. You have civil rights. You have the need for this interesting reflection on it. And so suddenly, Luther, everybody loves Luther now. Yeah. Forget the forget the the, the the eighty places you would have serious problems with him and he'd probably call you a heretic. Uh, it's, um, I love that guy, man. <laughs> yeah, he's rough. He was he was ego rough on his enemies. Yeah. But despite those things and, and to be more serious, despite his anti Semitism, the real awful comments that he makes that you just have to own, he's still everyone's like, Oh, Lutheran Grace, Luther mm-hmm. Grace, Luther In fact,
1: that's what Paul was doing. Paul was really Luther.
0: Just... Paul was a Lutheran before anybody else. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's and it's read through that lens, and obviously it's a little overplayed at times. It's a little too much, but that being said, he as yeah, that stereotype, mm-hmm. and conversely, no matter how much Calvin said that a lot of people, including Wesley, as he admits, would agree with, and despite probably a more humane and humanizing portrait of the man, he's always going to be the kind of cold, nerdy predestinarian putts that Mm -hmm. you know burn servetus like the 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 stereotype for rick moranis for calvin there it's not going away (laughs) these things stay you don't get rid of them that kind of thing
1: yeah i mean occasionally someone gets a second act but it's pretty rare um yeah yeah look at sylvester stallone still starring in rocky movies it's kind of like what
0: i did watch the expendables recently on the trip to boston how was that One, I loved it because it's, I I love the idea that they've taken a concept like this and they've just made it, they're like, you know what, we're not going to even pretend that this is really happening and it's awesome. We're just going to pretend like it's just a bunch of old, somewhat washed up superheroes doing like the worst possible acting. Like they're just going to blow stuff up.
1: (laughs) They're cashing a check with CGI.
0: Yes, exactly. And in that sense, it's actually kind of refreshing. Yeah. It was still a pretty bad movie though. It wasn't very good. It was... uh, about halfway I've just started I started fast forwarding the action scenes after a while. It's like okay, I know that guy's gonna get his comeuppance and probably get blown up. Uh so I don't care about that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got
1: a colleague at uh that teaches in English at at, at Pfeiffer, uh, who identifies as Buddhist and, you know, he's he's a really thoughtful guy. We've had all these great conversations and about literature and various stuff but he loves action movies it's really funny like he loves the expendables <laughs> he loves the die Boudest. hard like any any time an action movie's coming out especially one that's kind of mindless i'm always like so you've seen it yet and he's like oh yeah it was really good <laughs> and i just find I, it really i'm telling funny.
0: you this is a big thing i had a friend write me just just today actually he was on, wrote me on facebook he's like so you know sometimes i get really kind of bored with my subject and i feel like i don't want to read anything anymore and i'm kind of over it he goes, did that ever happen i'm like yeah it's fatigue you're you're just tired of your subject, and it's all of its weighty seriousness. And I said, my advice: go watch like some cheesy adolescent movie. Like you know, <laughs> you'll feel yeah, better. Was like oh, yeah, you you will. That's what I, I I for me it was video games like playing. We should have done D and D like in uh, Cambridge. That we would have. That would have been, been a lot fun, happier at probably. At the pub, yeah, yeah, just out there, just let it all hang out. I'm an orc. <laughs> Though let's be honest. I mean, World of Warcraft is basically D and D, like, but a video game. Yeah, that's so. true.
1: It really is. That I hadn't thought of that, but that is kind of the technological version of it. And you don't need the game master because everybody gets to play. The computer is the that's game right. master.
0: Did you play? Well, you were playing Warcraft, weren't you?
1: That's right. Because yeah, you you sold your your yeah.
0: Uh, no, I didn't sell it. That's illegal. Uh, oh, I was my bad. <laughs> I was a highly ranked uh, player, yes, for a while. But in my defense, I was not the guy who played at the expense of other things. I mean, I've played a lot. right? But I always remind my, you know, people go, you played? It's like, well, look, you just read a whole lot for your for like your thesis or you did some writing. You did work. You go home, you don't have a TV. What are you going to do? If your hobby was reading, you're not doing that when you get home. That's right. There was particular last year in Cambridge, my wife, she had her first child. And I thought, okay, yeah, well, you know, I'm going to give up these childish things. Yeah. Not going to play video games. But then I realized, you know, first trimester in particular, you are often very tired as a <laughs> as a pregnant woman. Mm-hmm. So she'd go to bed at like eight. And I'm going, well, what am I yeah. going to do now? And we didn't have <laughs>
1: like, we didn't have Netflix.
0: No, there, yeah, that's the we thing. We had Channel One and Channel Two. Way back in 2006 to nine, not that long ago. It's so funny to say this. Yeah, we did not have streaming and cloud based things. And if you had Netflix, you had the somewhat crappy British Netflix that. May not have the shows you like, you remember that? Did you ever notice that
1: we uh, they had the DVD service. I think we had that maybe, but I don't remember the streaming at all.
0: No, you're right, sorry DVD yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about streaming. yeah, streaming came out like two thousand ten or eleven somewhere in that range. okay I, No, I remember like they had the DVD, but they might not have the DVD you want mm-hmm. or <laughs> remember this <laughs> they would have the DVD you wanted, and it would show up. But it wouldn't play in your freaking computer because it was oh, country-coded right. country to the code, UK. Oh, yeah. uh, We actually hacked our TV.
1: It had a DVD player in it, and there's you could search for the hack codes and set the TV region to zero, and you could play anything. So that's, someone that's told a, me that that's trip. Copy,
0: that's copyright infringement. Whatever, because we owned
1: American DVDs, and then, yeah, like you're saying, we would get yeah. That British was the problem, yeah. So, yeah, I, and you would be stuck. I
0: bought a British computer, a laptop, when I was over there. It was a Dell. I mean, it, it, it came from... Ireland, but it, it was still a Dell, back when Dell was still making lap- laptops that everyone bought. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, it comes country coded for the UK. I'm like, wait, it, I yeah, I, I found a way to crack it, but it didn't quite work the way I wanted it to.
1: Did it have the UK keyboard?
0: Yes, and I hated that. That
1: was always, you know, that's just so wrong.
0: Yeah, it was horrible. It's like, what? Like, this is worse than driving on the wrong side of the road. Yeah,
1: yeah, there are things that are different there, such as driving on the wrong side of the road, or light switches or plugs. Like, I can accept all that, but the keyboard was just... It was just so... It was just weird.
0: There's just no yeah. getting around that. No getting... No. You're like, come on. Where's my at sign? Yeah, that kind of stuff. <laughs> the
1: at sign. Yeah. It was buried at the bottom somewhere, wasn't it? And you had yeah. to look. I mean, you just felt like you were six again. Mommy, yeah. what's that say?
0: Yeah, in the end, I mean, it was... Yeah, you you always have to do something like uh, I I always say you have to do something enjoyable during your like whenever you're going through a time of real stress thesis whatever like I, I find the the problem with some American culture is we try to big boy or a big boy or big girl ourselves up to to the point where well you know I just need to do this sometimes I'm like no just go watch a video go watch a movie like. The Expendables, play a video game, do something yeah, that like makes yeah. you feel like you're a child, unwind, like unhinge your. Th- there is a, a
1: mental fatigue, and and that's why people have gone for walks or gone to dinners, or you know, C. S. Lewis is going to the pub, and and Bart is hanging out with friends and and students because there's all you spend all this time reading and writing, but after a while, you just yeah, you you need to switch off somehow.
0: Okay, what do you think would be on Bart's Netflix list? Oh, that's interesting. I don't think it would be Modern Family or New Girl. I don't think he'd be. A, I don't think he'd be a comedy guy.
1: Well, but you know, it's funny because he sees the gospel as kind of comic. But I think you're right. I don't know that he had a sense of humor. But he kind of, in theory, it's all about Mozart and this triumph of goodness. But and
0: very few Germans have a sense of humor anyway. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's more of a cold chuckle uh, while they plot your downfall. <laughs> what? <if> you, <laughs> sorry, people in Germany, I'm kidding. They're not like Canadians. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, we just lost two countries at once. Don't say anything about Norway.
0: (laughs) Do nothing about Denmark. We love you. But what would he watch? I don't know. He'd probably. Do you think he'd be in the movies or shows? I think probably shows because he'd be working too much in the dogmatics. He'd be too busy to give more more than 30 minutes at a time. Yeah, I
1: see him going to Shakespeare. I see him sort of supporting the theater or something and maybe PBS. I don't know. I don't see him. You know, Luther would have loved Netflix, right?
0: Oh, yeah. Luther would have been like watching the Flintstones. <laughs> or something. He's an
1: everyman. Now, Wesley, I, you know, Wesley probably be off the grid, to be honest. He'd just be like, What? I'm not like, paying for this. How,
0: how dare, how dare you not redeem the time by? He would he would probably count the amount of money one would spend on Netflix in a year and ask to uh, instead give that to a better cause. Yeah, yeah, and in a good way. Yeah, I mean, at a point, you, know, but, you need you know, those people. You need those people. But you know,
1: yeah, it, he would sort of like, my chamber pot is fine. We don't need flushing toilets. <laughs> yeah, we kind of do actually.
0: Uh, ew. Ugh. Oh. Anyway, Wesley, it stinks in here. Stinks of righteousness. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, No, it just stinks,
0: actually. No, it just kind of stinks.
1: How old are you? (laughs) You live to like be 88 or 89. It's like, oh, you are a grumpy old man. Yeah. Yeah, Netflix Q. I I don't know. What about, uh, I think Niebuhr would have had some neat stuff, like Reinhold Niebuhr. He would have watched Stranger Things, I think.
0: He probably, I think Niebuhr would have done like the Pink Floyd, like listen to the soundtrack of Pink Floyd and watch The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. You ever done that? What? You you know what I'm talking about? No. Do you know this little meme? There's an old version of The Wizard of Oz, the one where the Roaring Lion is at the beginning. Okay. And you can you can Google it and find all the supposed like connections. It's complete happenstance, by the way. Right. But you play one of the psychedelic Pink Floyd albums, and, and eat some mushrooms. It's something like on the second. Yeah, I do think there was some uh, <laughs> drugs when someone found this out. <laughs> While told you'd be listening to Pink Floyd and watching The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> But, Nothing on. But, so I'm gonna do yeah, this. You're Right. Apparently <laughs> on like the second roar you start the album. Uh-huh. And some friends and I did this in college, not not even drinking beers. We were just sitting around like this sounds interesting. And it actually does. There are times like there's one time where when one of the songs, some of the, I think it's the little people in on Oz are are jumping up and down, like down the street, and they're jumping to the music. Hmm. And it's like there's these weird, it just somehow a lyric in the show or sorry, in the CD, perfectly epitomizes what some character is doing in the in this movie at the sa- exact same time. And there's like 50 of them. Hmm. And so, the, of course, there's this is like, whoa, stoner thing that goes on with it. But it's just kind of fun. To, yeah. Uh, that That's Niebuhr. Niebuhr's like, whoa. Yeah.
1: He would, the whole time. For. Uh, Baltazar would probably, he would write, have like 50 pages, why, say, comedies don't really work and sitcoms are a failure for, you know, these sort of structural <laughs> reasons. And then on page 51, he would list all the comedies he likes. And he would probably like Modern Family and all these things because yeah. he's a messy theologian. So he would, he will say things and then all of a sudden he'll have a long list of exceptions. You're like, but wait a minute, doesn't that discount what you just said? And you're like, nah, it's fine. It's fine. Let's yeah, he'll, get- ha-
0: he'll have like a snobby critique. Yes. And then... Also, yeah, be watching like American Pie one, two, and three. You know.
1: <laughs> it's like I have to admit those are pretty funny, but you know they shouldn't have been. I
0: don't know. Funny. Stifler is hilarious, so we was just going to go ahead and say that as <laughs> as Von Balthasar. Well, that's too crazy. Augustine,
1: yeah. Augustine would he he would like Breaking Bad. He would like these things that kind of point to the human depravity.
0: Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, anything that points out the flawed you know, descent of someone. Yeah, I think yeah,
1: so. What about Cal? I don't know that Calvin would... He probably wouldn't watch much, do you think?
0: Calvin would be probably the guy watching like some of the subtitles.
1: <laughs> foreign films.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's a foreign film guy. And, and which actually does fit his persona. That was one of the reasons he was hated is he was a bit of an outsider. Uh-huh. It's true, I think, of most European countries. Maybe it's a human problem, but people don't like the snob. They don't yeah. like the guy who's a little bit smarter than them. We don't mind Luther belching... And saying dumb things occasionally, like overstated things, Mm -hmm. that doesn't really offend us Mm -hmm. because he's kind of an everyman. But when you act a little bit smarter than everybody else or you know you are Mm -hmm. and you put on that, you put on, again, not not put on a sort of pretense. Calvin wasn't that bad, but he was around kind of a bumpkin Swiss city when he actually first moved there. And so and he's like a, a Paris educated Sorbonne guy that actually might have become a university lecturer at some point he would have been the bill gates to to luther's steve jobs hmm. that's just, mm-hmm. that's just that would have been more calvin hmm. interesting yeah
1: we want to thank our great great listeners and remind them to reach out to us with itunes likes and reviews and uh facebook and twitter and
0: and do you agree with our theologian netflix picks
1: Yes, yes, what would make your list? Yeah, that that might be a fun meme. Wow, uh, what would be the hashtag for that?
0: Sick of the dogmatics, churning on some modern family LOL, Bart <laughs> <laughs> Good night, Denmark. We we love you.